Welcome to What's Next, Porto Business School podcast for future trends and innovation. My name is Rui Coutinho. I'm the director of the Center for Business Innovation here at Porto Business School. And today, for this edition, I have the pleasure to welcome on the show Naveen Tukaram, uh, investor and entrepreneur. Uh, he has a solid track record of $3 billion in exits, uh, partner at Vulcan Capital and investor in a wide number of startups, including Skykick, where he's the lead investor and board member, and Quiki, where he was COO board member, seed investor, and Quiki, as we all know, then was acquired by Yahoo. He's a graduate of Princeton and Harvard Business School, and he is uh, uh, commuting, I would say, from New York to Stockholm uh, a lot. So both uh, valuable insights from the U.S. perspective, but also on the European uh, perspective. Welcome to the show, Naveen. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. An honor to be here. Uh, it's an honor for us. So, Naveen, uh, I imagine that you operate on many different uh, uh, futures in your mind during 24 hours. You are you think about many different moments in your near, distant, or very distant <coughs> future, as you are always trying to look ahead and beyond. So, uh, as an investor, what is on your radar for, I would say, a more transfor transformative and disruptive future, uh, midterm, in, in, in some sense? So, one of the things I think it's interesting when you're talking to people that know a bunch about different sector or have a different thesis is what they think, but also sort of how they think. So if I could give you some insight into how I think, it may help you yep. um, or us understand what I'm thinking about. Because I was trained first as an investor. I spent a couple years on Wall Street, a number of years in private equity, obviously Harvard Business School, before I was in the technology sector. So my baseline is, you know, high school math team, engineering at Princeton, and then finance for a number of years. So when I think about investments in technology, I, I generally think about what the investment framework is first as opposed to, do I love the technology? Do I think it's going to be super cool or whatever? And one of the things I think that people do not do a good job of assessing, professional investors, private investors, whoever, is risk. Because what's more important than your return is your risk-adjusted return. How much risk did you take to generate those profits? So... When you're trying to predict technology trends, and here's the thing about trends today. Trends today are not linear. They're exponential, right? And the thing about that is everyone who's listening to this podcast is in the tech business. Even if they have nothing to do with technology, if you're listening to this, you are in the tech business. <laughs> you might as well repeat, repeat it to yourself. I am in the tech business because all the trends in some way, shape, or form are being driven by technology. The most obvious ones that we all see every day. I mean, forget about everyone takes mobile for granted, video for granted, all this stuff for granted, but self-driving cars. Who thought you'd have cars driving themselves on the road this fast? Some people did. A lot of people did not think it would be this fast. Um, and that's affecting so many different ways we will consume cars in the future. The car industry, the taxi industry, et cetera, et cetera. So, because technology trends are driving all the trends, all trends are going to be trending towards, excuse the pun, being exponential. And the reason why that's important is because you don't, at least from my perspective, you don't always need to pick a trend five years ahead of time to have a good investment, right? Let me give you a couple examples. Um, if you believed in the trends of 
video and mobile, and you were looking at them like I was looking at them in 2008, 2009, you thought, well, that's, you know, I think it was something like, don't quote me on this, but 25% smartphone, you know, um, adoption, that, yeah. something like that back then in, in some markets, right? And you say, oh, well, you know, this trend, how much legs does it have? But the reality is, if you look back five years on either video or mobile, it's exponential in any time period, essentially. Maybe not exponential for a mathematician, but fast enough growth so any investor would make money, right? Yeah. And I was, um, I've been fortunate enough to be very early in oil and gas a long time ago in my career, created, you know, obviously with the help of a lot of other people, uh, over $2 billion of exits in that sector. And then when looking at Quickie, we're looking at the intersection of two major trends, which was video and mobile. And the interesting thing about those that are professional trend pickers, when you're reading, you know, IDC or some other, you know, Gartner or whatever, thousands of reports, they generally don't over-predict the trend. Like if a trend ends up growing at 50% a year, they generally are, will, will report it, ah, it's going to go 15, 20% a year, because they're, they're always very conservative, right? That's the interesting thing, and that's what people are saying about video and mobile. They're not paid to say, it's going to grow 121% next year. They're going to do something where they're going to be their growth is going to be less than what the actual growth rate is. So we were fortunate to be in a video mobile startup in Quickie, which, of course, in 2013 uh, got acquired by Yahoo for $50 million when we only had nine full-time employees. So it was a very good exit for everyone involved in the company. So when I, so that's sort of how I'm thinking about looking at investments. So now when I look forward, I don't feel like, and of course... It's good if you do, but I don't feel like I need to call the next, what's the next artificial intelligence standard going to be? Because that's very, very hard to do. Um, just ask anyone who was trying to predict solar standards back in 2007 and just, you know, took a little bit of a bath. When I look at, for example, the cloud, the cloud's been around for a long time. People take the cloud for granted the same way they take for granted the fact that we have mobile phones in our pockets today, I feel like. But the reality is the vast majority of business users are not on cloud-based email, if you can believe that, the vast majority. So is there an opportunity in the cloud in terms of whatever happens to be security, backing up data, storing data? I'm not going to tell you if there is or isn't, but I can tell you that that trend is far, far from over. But uh, are you saying that, um, and correct me if, if, you're not, if you're not just saying this, um, that for investment decisions, uh, when you're assessing the risk, you're assessing the opportunity, uh, trends, trends are just helpful, but they are not the main criteria. You go for the size of the market, you go for the, the return <coughs> on investment, so you go back to hard metrics. Is that right? So I'll give you... It's where you're relying. I'll give you a couple of different ideas on, on that question. I'm just saying that for everyone watching and listening, the chances are you're not going to predict the next big trend five years ahead of time. It's just very, very hard to do. So my point is that you don't have to necessarily predict the trend. You have to understand that some of these trends are exponential. And if you can see, that, see them ahead of time, you might have a couple years, in, this, in the cloud case, seven years to predict that trend and then still make an investment either with your time in terms of getting a job in that sector or in terms of with your money and making money 
in that sector. I think um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think Warren Buffett said in one of his annual conferences, I should get this quote so I can repeat it, but basically, you know, don't give Jeff Bezos a seven-year head start because <laughs> he got a seven-year head start essentially on the cloud. I think Amazon, it's probably 10 years old now at least, right? So I got a seven even more, longer, but as a leader, most likely. Uh, right, 10 yeah. years plus. Yeah. And they're still, a, they know there's still a long way to go. That's the crazy thing. It's this, We're talking about a 30-year trend. If you're talking about a 10, 20, 30-year trend, you don't need to invest in your negative one or time equals zero to be a hero. Yeah. Um, to your question on how I look at investing in startups. So, um, of course, investing in startups is going to be a little riskier than investing in a proven trend, of course. When I invest in startups, but of course, you can also invest in startups that are aligning with what you believe is a proven trend, which is probably your best bet. When I look at startups, the number one thing I look at is management hunger. That is number one. Because trends change, business models change, markets change, but ultimately, you're backing the captains of that ship. Because that ship has to find its destination eventually. So it goes back to people. It's 100% backing people. It doesn't matter if it's a one-person company or a thousand-person company. You're backing the people because they're the ones that will have to make those day-to-day decisions that will ultimately lead you, hopefully, to victory one day. Um, so I know you have more, but here is, let's let's please please spend here a few seconds more on the on the uh, hunger management. Uh, how what are you looking for exactly? How do you evaluate that? So number that, one that would hunger. be so management hunger and management track record. So the number one thing would be, you know, what is the track record of management? Yeah. Right? Do I believe that there is data to support that they can do whatever startup they're doing now? If it's their first or second startup, then you have to look at it a little more deeply, right? Like, what have they done in their careers that leads me to believe that they can create value with the startup? For example, with the founders of Skykick, which is my main investment right now, uh, Todd and Evan, they were stars at Microsoft in very related sectors. So they were, you know, Todd was helping uh, work with Bing, and Evan, I think, was on the office side. And so they were they've been around enterprise software, Microsoft, the cloud for a number of years before they left, put all their eggs in one basket and started a cloud software company that's selling software to businesses. So you could make the argument that after, you know, they were at MIT before they spent seven plus years at Microsoft, they were very well suited, even though they hadn't started a cloud software company together before they were very well suited having spent a decade in tech and many years at a very relevant company yeah. like Microsoft. So that's why I my management track record and hunger. In their case, they had both track record and hunger because they were putting all their eggs in one basket, putting family money in and putting their leaving real important jobs to do that startup. So those kind of dynamics give investors comfort. Um, yeah. So that's number one. Number two is the market dynamics. And there's a lot of thing, things that can go into that. For example, is it a big market? Growing. Is it, a, is it a small market? Is it growing? Is it not growing? But also, it's also the dynamics. For example, the cloud is dominated, or at least was dominated, by the biggest companies in the world, right? Microsoft, Google, consumer side, Apple, right. um, a- of course, Amazon, and, and other, other ones. 
So you think, well, is that a good place to be? Because how is a small company going to compete? But the reality is there's thousands of small cloud companies. Why? Because when you have a ecosystem that big that's growing that fast, you're going to have chaos. And when there's chaos, there's opportunities for startups to pick off niches, sometimes small niches, sometimes very big niches. When a niche in an industry as big as a cloud is going to be a big niche. Um, I'll give you an example. There's the Microsoft uh, partner ecosystem is something that I guarantee you 99% of people on this call or this, I'm sorry, this podcast have never heard of. But Satya Nadella reported last year that the partner ecosystem for Microsoft generated $1 trillion with a T amount of revenue. But I would say 99% of people have not heard of that. Forget about this podcast. Like anyone, No one's heard of that, yep. right? It's just not something that's very common. Yep. But in, in something that large, if, there, if, you can, if you can create value for a small percentage of those people, you're going to make a lot of money. So it really depends on the size, growth, but also the dynamics of the market. Um, is there chaos in the market? Is there volatility? Because options traders from Chicago, and I w- grew up in Chicago, know that volatil- volatility creates a lot of value. Yeah, but here also you get the, ins- the uncertainty that the mar- you can't control the market that much. There are so, so many external factors, mm-hmm. so many things contributing to, to the market markets to become <coughs> extremely volatile. Uh, uh, I think they are volatile by definition uh, and by mm-hmm. standard right now. Uh, and and it, it, it's getting your job even uh, hardest, right? can be. But like I said, I think volatility for small startups can create a lot of value as so well. you see the opportunity there. Half, uh, glass half full, not glass half empty. It just depends on the length of time, right? It depends on, you know, for example, with, uh, again, I'll just go back to a concrete example with Skykick. When you look at Microsoft, you know that all their, those Microsoft Office emails need to go from Microsoft Exchange Server to the cloud. That's, that's a one-directional trend where you have a billion people that need to move their email from not cloud to cloud. Yeah. That's a trend you can bet on all day long, right? And that's what Skykick did originally. Now we're products two and three and so forth, but that was the original trend that we believed in. Um, so that's an example of where you have a big market, big players, but if you can add value to those players' lives, then you're going to do well. And the final thing is really the judgment. It's the feasibility. So we talked about the management team, hunger and track record. They're the captains of the ship. Then you talk about the market, and the market is the destination. Do you believe that your captains of the ship can hit that destination? And that from going from A to B, that's the feasibility. Like, what's the feasibility of that? That's where the judgment comes in. That's where all the other factors come lumped in um, when you're making an investment. But what's important to recognize is that's number three. Because if you don't believe in the team, then it doesn't matter how great the market is you lowered your probability of success and if you don't think it's feasible obviously then let that's me a, let, that's a let me hear black mark as well. let me hear hit here on on a on a on a on a on a, on a topic that you didn't mention on mm-hmm. your on your list but and i wanted to ask you your opinion on on its importance and how on the relevance because you have heard of so many stories where great ideas great startups beautiful executions uh, attracted big investment but timing the timing wasn't right so and you know being right before time is 
pretty much being wrong. So <laughs> where uh, where timing comes in? Uh, let let's let's. I, I I won't go into the classical examples of of of, of uh, um, the things before YouTube came in or uh, uh, how Airbnb or had to wait for <coughs> the crisis in 2007 for the the thing to make sense for uh, right. uh, uh, or MySpace and or MySpace and, and, and so on. And but what is the importance of timing here? Or and Napster, how and, you, or Na- Napster and, and Spotify, Spotify, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Perfect it example. Took, it took, what, 15 years from na- long Napster time. To, yes. to Spotify? And I, my opinion, it's, it might not be over yet, the transformation in, the, in that industry. Probably but, not. Uh, but, but, yeah, that's a different podcast <laughs> that we can have. But where does timing and making sure that you have the right uh, I know that this connects with the market dynamics of course but um, how do you put that into your, your equation and how can you make it in a how, how, what, 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 what can you share without uh, disclosing uh, your, your trade secret secrets what can you share on the importance and how, uh, of timing and uh, how do you uh, uh, assess it in some sense well I'm going to give away my trade secrets so hopefully everybody's Ooh. listening very carefully I'm going to answer that question very specifically as it relates to specifically capital, because that's what I know the best. So I think what you're alluding to is that, you know, multiples for exits go up and down, right? They can go to 10, 50, whatever, depends on the industry, but multiples can can double over the course of an economic cycle and then obviously retreat, and then you're sort of stuck. And also IPO markets can retract and windows can open, windows can close. So how do you time that or not time that, as the case may be as an investor? For those of you listening that are either investing in startups or thinking about startups or thinking about running a startup, one very important thing to manage is the timing of your capital. So we're putting exits to the side for a second and timing of capital. Because we're, startups get more hung up and have more failures than on the exit. Because let's say you sell the company you know, for 10 times your money, as opposed to 8 times your money or 6 times. That's still a, you know amazing outcome, that's probably top 1% outcome. Yep. But why do 90% plus of startups fail? For a lot of reasons. But one reason is timing of capital. So what happens is when you raise capital from a typical venture capital firm, by the way, I'm not a venture capitalist. I'm an angel investor and I've been a private equity investor. And between those two um, investment modalities, there's venture capital. So I've never worked for a venture capital fund. Um, And when you take capital for venture capital, they typically put you on a little hamster wheel yeah. where they want you to spend the capital and grow as quickly as possible. And that's fine. That's their job. That's what they're aligned to do. Because the venture capital funds are not incentivized to make every company successful, right? They're incentivized to make their fund successful. Absolutely. That's a very different thing. And when you're investing in 30 companies, you push them all to be the next Facebook or the next Google. And if they hit one or two and make 100 times their money, the rest of the companies, not that they don't care or they're bad people, but they just don't matter yep. for the fund. But what does that do for the startup founder? That startup founder is not investing in 30 companies. She or he is investing in one company, and it's usually their whole career and their parents' money in there too. So what happens is when you take venture capital and you have, you know, you're, you're planning to spend that, over two years and you're pushed to spend it over whatever it is, 18 months or two years or 36 months, whatever it happens to be, you better have good multiples and an open capital market at the time you're about six to 12 months away from running, running out of money. Because if you don't, 
you're either going to run out of money, or two, you're going to take a down round, or three, your best worst case of the, of the worst case scenario is the best scenario is that you're not going to be able to raise enough money. Maybe you raise at the right valuation, but not at the um, the right amount, which probably means you'll raise it at a lower valuation and take the right amount for your company. That's generally what happens, right? As a yeah. as a CEO, you want to raise the right amount of money, and if that money's not available at valuation X, you got to do it at 0.8x, and hopefully that valuation is higher than your last round. If it's not, what happens is, as, as you know, the venture capitalists typically have different provisions in there where they get made whole on their previous investment, yep. while the dilution is, is um, taken much more by the common shareholders and not the professional investors. So that's also a podcast for another time, but enough <laughs> to get it out there so people are aware of this timing issue because I think that is a much bigger timing issue for the startup ecosystem than the multiples on the exit because if you're exiting and you're doing at least well you're probably in the top five or worst case top 10% of all startups because 90% fail by definition right mm-hmm. so we want to try to get more of those 90% into the 10% that would that's that's a bit that's going to be more valuable to the ecosystem here in Porto than getting you know a little more value for those top five or ten percent that succeed absolutely make change happen 